0: Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that always tries to run two bys to the keeper. England's men's wide ball summer is barely 10 days old and is already halfway through, with two undefeats to India in both the T20 and ODI legs of their tour, leaving Joss Butler and Matthew Mott with plenty to ponder. There's controversy on the women's setup too, with Tammy Beaumont admitted from the Commonwealth Games Squad and the touring South Africans in disarray. Plus, we'll look back at the T20 Blast final for the ages and preview the start of South Africa men's tour up in Durham tomorrow. I'm Matt Roller, deputising for Alan Gardner. And on the UK's hottest day in living memory, we've got an all-star panel of Andrew Miller and Vituša Raja assembled, ready and waiting with their hottest takes. We're jumping back on to record this segment. Uh, moments after we finished, we just saw the news break that uh, Ben Stokes has announced his retirement from ODI cricket. Um, he will play his last game for England in 50-over cricket on Tuesday uh, at his home ground, Chester Le Street. Um, Stokes a statement. Uh, I'll just read a bit from it. Um, he says, as hard as a decision as this was to come to, it's not as hard dealing with the fact that I can't give my teammates 100% of myself in this format anymore. The England shirt deserves nothing less from anyone who wears it. Three formats are just unsustainable for me now. Not only do I feel that my body is letting me down because of the schedule and what is expected of us, but I also feel that I'm taking the place of another player who can give Joss and the rest of the team their all. It's time for someone else to Uh, progress as a cricketer and make incredible memories like I have over the past 11 years I will give everything I have to test cricket and now with this decision I feel I can also give my total commitment to the T20 format Vish this this sort of feels like something that should be a wake up moment for cricket administrators that if they keep cramming cricket into the schedule relentlessly I think England play a dozen limited overs games in 25 days this month uh, and that's just the men's team uh, that if they keep doing that, players aren't going to be able to perform at their best and are eventually going to take the decision, like Stokes has today, that it's not worth their time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose to talk about it from, you know, with regards to the individual who's made this decision, there's a bloke who loves playing cricket, who loves playing cricket, who talks so much about, you know, the honour and the privilege and has reinforced that onto people who he now... He's in charge of the in the test side. In the In the last year, he's had to put himself out of the game entirely for his own well-being and then retire entirely from a format um, because of the schedule and because of the grind it has and because physically now he's feeling the toll. Um, and I suppose, you know, there that, there that, that is the rub of it, really, that he is all action. He is the kind of cricketer who doesn't do half measures. And because of that, he's in a situation now where he has had to make the decision to step away from a format that you could argue was the first part of his legacy definer. Um if we think about, you know, the how he rebuilt himself from the incident of Bristol in, in 2017, the World Cup final in t- July 2019, that was that was the start of it really. And it was the start of the summer that he obviously, you know, goes on and plays that not knock at headingly, but in terms of the most front-facing work that Stokes has ever done, really. And not just because it was on free-to-air TV, but it was that World Cup final. And he, you know, cricketers now have, you know, a number of retirements. Um, But, you know, even in a format that right now feels like the third most important international format, this is quite a seismic um, turn of events, yeah.
0: Uh, Miller, I suppose we've to an extent been here before because Joe Root in the second half of his captaincy uh, of the Test side basically didn't play any T20 international cricket. That wasn't necessarily um, a decision he wanted to make himself, but sort of was forced upon him because of the fact that he just wasn't playing enough to sort of keep pace with the format. But the fact that Stokes has taken this decision for himself, there'd obviously been some plans around his workload. He was originally going to miss the T20Is this summer and the 100, but has clearly taken matters into his own hands and decided to um, put out what is quite you know, quite an explosive statement in terms of the message it sends to cricket administrators. It's quite an interesting contrast, isn't it? And it does, does show that um, you know, Stokes, is, Stokes has not made this decision lightly and he, he wants to go out with what is a bit of a bang.
2: It is a, it is a huge bang. I mean, it, it is so significant to have, as Vish says, a, a guy who is synonymous with the British public for what he achieved in that World Cup final with the greatest respect to the Headingley innings. The most visible performance was World Cup final because a World Cup just just resonates in a way that a random Test match does not. Test matches are glorious, as we really well know, but they kind of preach the converted. If you want to reach out to the wider audience, which is what English cricket really wants to do, then it's World Cup. It's 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 the coloured clothing, it's the white ball, it's all the razzmatazz that's wrapped into that format that that resonates. And for Stokes to say so soon, I mean, it's it's three years almost almost the week, but nonetheless. It feels like so soon because the pandemic has caused chaos with, with scheduling. So to go out so soon from that World Cup final is almost the last thing he's done in in, in in 50 over cricket, is a bombshell, frankly. And, um, you know, the ECB reap what they sow with with the way that they've treated 50 over cricket, shoving it to the sidelines almost from the moment they came off the pitch in that 2019 final. It was clear that the, the, that was it for, for 50 over cricket. It wasn't relevant anymore. The, 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 the Royal London Cup was going to be a was going to be a was going to be a feeder tournament for the 100, essentially, uh, hidden behind hidden behind layers and layers of more important schedules. Um, the. The itinerary henceforth is, you know, we've got these these matches coming against South Africa, but then barely any history over cricket at all until we reboot the format again in the lead up to the 23 World Cup, by which stage it's too late for Stokes. You know he's 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 in the, the latter part of his prime to put it put it mildly. He wants to give himself the best chance to play in the world in the World Cup in Australia, which frankly, you know, the T20 World Cup in Australia is is a great opportunity for Stokes's form to for uh, the Stokes's technique should thrive in such conditions given half a chance. But as you say, you know, when 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 Joe Root was made Test captain, he never got a look in in twenty in 20 over cricket because something had to give. And he's taken Matheson into his own hands and says, no, I'm not going to give on the lucrative, um, eye-catching format of the game. I'm going to give on the one that the ECB's already given up on. I mean, you can't really blame him for that.
0: Vish, there was a point a number of years ago now where it looked as though ODI cricket was sort of diminishing in relevance as a format. And I think possibly in this country in particular, because of the success of that 50-over team under Owen Morgan, maybe people got swept up in the fact that it was bigger than it maybe is. And I think if you look at the past two weeks uh especially with that news about south africa pulling out of uh, a tournament that a series that is effectively a world cup qualifier of sorts um you know forms part of that process through the super league which is soon to be scrapped in australia the super league itself is being scrapped are, are, are we heading towards a point where odis are just going to become a format for world cups because it feels increasingly difficult i think as a casual for, for the casual fan to resonate for the for that format to resonate yeah, it
1: feels like T20s and ODIs have, have switched places in that regard, haven't they? Whereby it used to be the T20s—you know—you wouldn't necessarily get your best squad out until it came to a World Cup, and now ODIs, as you say, because we've got one around the corner. And I suppose that's well because we've got one around the corner. Um, you know, it, it feels like it's a bit more relevant now. But even so, you know, we're in a situation where these guys quit ahead of a World Cup. I reckon if you'd asked them. Um, if you'd asked Stokes last year, you must be really looking forward to defending your crown from 2019. He would have, he would have said, yes, of course I am. Yeah, I can't, I, I want to be out there. I want to be, I want to kind of like, you know, close this story out. Um, and obviously now he won't. It's, um, I mean, I was about to say, like maybe it's something the ICC should look at, but the ICC are so, I suppose, blasé with with all this kind of stuff um, that I think they they've always relied on the fact that you know, the boards and the, you know, the member parties keep these things going on. Um, or rather, you know, carry, for example, you know, carry through ODIs and T twenties and kind of they leave them to their own devices. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, beyond beyond the way it was played up to 2019, you'd say as you as you pointed out um when you asked this question, it was always headed in that direction. And I suppose from an English perspective, we we are often guilty of talking about things that are relevant to us and therefore assuming they're relevant to the world but it does you know as you mentioned with South Africa it feels like we're we're in a position now where it's only really going one way and barring you know a great you know because because the World Cups in India the 50 other World Cups in India next year if that's a blockbuster then yeah maybe that you know puts a bit of adrenaline in the arm for another four years but but right now it does as you say feel like a bit of an irrelevance.
0: And I suppose the first thing that people blame in situations like this where a format of international cricket is is sort of disregarded or becomes secondary or something like that is usually franchise cricket or league cricket, effectively. Um, in this case, it's quite an interesting one, though, because Stokes has pulled out of the IPL, and possibly this, you know, the, the reason England's schedule is so demanding is because of the fact that there is that uh, window handed over to it, effectively, where they don't play any international cricket for the first two months of the summer. But, Miller, this, this isn't a case that... Um, it's not like Stokes has made this decision because he wants to play in the IPL and because he wants to play in the hundred. He's he's not going to play in either of those competitions this year, and yet he's still having to um, to to quit a format of of international cricket, which doesn't seem to reflect hugely well on the ECB at all.
2: No, it doesn't. But it, it does reflect hugely well on the fact that Test cricket is, is reinvigorated largely thanks to Stokes' own efforts as captain it's uh, you know all too often you've seen in recent times that uh, players will retire from test cricket to play limited overs you know odis and t20s for for Stokes to chop out the chop out the middle format and play play the either end is is that's that's a rare a rare division of labor and it, and it it's it, it is a it is a statement of intent from him that you know he's a, he recognizes that his body is not where it should be i mean you know we know he's been he was walking wounded all through the ashes where he took that catch-off Hardik Pandya the other day at, uh, at, uh, at Old Trafford. He could barely stand up as as he fell forward. His knees gave in. I mean, he, he, he's creaking. Absolutely no doubt about it. But he wants to be able to be absolutely wholehearted in Test cricket in particular because that's the format where he's finding, finding his passion right now with uh, with this reinvigorated team that's going great guns. And, um, yeah, T20, as I said earlier, is bread and butter for all the greatest players in the world at the moment. You don't want to cut T twenty out of your diet. It's not just not it's just not an option. Especially as someone like Stokes, you know, he may be, as I said, the latter stage of his prime, but he's got four years, five years of, of, of solid prime to come, I would imagine, given given, given how how resilient he is, um the only thing that he could possibly give up in this circumstance is fifty over cricket.
0: Just to reflect briefly, it feels strange to be saying the word "reflect" already on Stokes's ODI career. Um, yeah, tomorrow will be his hundred and fifth game. He's got two thousand nine hundred and nineteen runs so far, averaging thirty nine, strike rate of ninety five. Uh, he's taken seventy four wickets at forty two. Vish, the the twenty nineteen World Cup final is, I suppose, the obvious point with Stokes is uh, his sort of his defining moment as a fifty over cricketer.
1: Yeah, without question. I mean, the manner of that victory. I mean, it, it was all on him. Um, you know, there's a great story about between the <laughs> between the um, the end of the the innings outright. So after the fiftieth over, when uh, Mark Wood gets run out, and between then and, and Stokes going out for the <laughs> for the super over, he um, comes into the dressing room and he his eyes are glazed over, and he just says, oh, "Yeah, I'm I'm going back out there." as if he was going to war. And the only thing he did in the middle was go out the back of the Lords, um, the, the home dressing room and have a cigarette while leaning out the window. Then he went back out there and, and basically won it for England and was out in the field and collapsed. I don't know if you remember, but you know, when uh, when Joffre Archer celebrates over there and, and Butler's running out all over the place, Stokes just falls to the floor. And the next you see of him is when he's, he's hugging Joffre. And bear in mind, you know, just before Joffre bowls that super over, Stokes goes up to him and says, "This won't define you." He is, you know, if it feels like we're um, the the um, you know, there's a I'm a, I'm in danger of eulogising him here when he's only you know we're still going to be seeing a lot of him, but in terms of what he's done for English cricket and what he's done for a lot of those players who now, you know, at that world who won that World Cup with him, this is um, yeah, this is huge a huge moment in in the game, I suppose, yeah.
0: Um, and Miller, just lastly, looking at how England might feasibly replace someone like Stokes, there's not a lot of options. If you consider he was batting at number four in that series against uh, India that we've just seen, uh, there's not a lot of players who are going to bat in the top four and and bowl the useful waivers that Stokes can. It seems to me, at least, that the the most obvious way for them to sort of try and replace him is for Butler to move up to number four on a sort of slightly more permanent basis. And then for Sam Curran to come in as the all-rounder, um, but even still, that does sort of risk them looking a little bit light on batting, even when they're at full strength, which isn't something you'd say of many England sides in the recent past.
2: Oh, it's true. I mean, he, he, you know, there aren't many players of which you would say he's irreplaceable. But Ben Stokes is irreplaceable for what he has brought to all the teams that he has he's taken part in. But but that said, and then the other thing to bear in mind about Stokes is, you know, the, the selflessness that has been a massive part of England's progress in whiteboard cricket initially, in his test cricket right now, um, selflessness also stems from a re- realization that, that that there is a legacy, there is something to pass on to another generation. So in terms of in terms of the, the key moments for Stokes, I would actually dial right back to uh, almost before the flood for England. Uh, the you remember back to 20 the, the 2014. 2013-14, dismal ashes tour, the 5-0 whitewash tour, in which he get, he emerges as basically England's only shining light with that century at Perth and a, and a sixer, I think it was, at Sydney and all the rest of it. But then all of a sudden, in the depths of England's misery on that tour, they finally win a the game. They won an ODI and guess who was batting at number three that day and took four wickets as well, Ben Stokes. Ben Stokes aged about 23 at the time. He finally got given a chance to bat at number three. Now, bear in mind, he'd been yo-yoed up and down the order Nobody could work out what on earth to do with this random chat. Here you go, just bat at number three. He had, you know, he had. Alistair Cook was opening. There, there was all sorts of randoms. Josh Butler was probably batting at eight because that's generally how they used him back in the day. And he got this opportunity and he seized it and England won a game and it was all euphoria and all the rest of it. Then the next game, he gets a duck at number three. And then <laughs> next time he's back to number seven. And then the following winter in, in, in Sri Lanka, on the eve of the World Cup, he's batting at number eight. And then he's dumped from the World Cup because he's not got any form. I mean, the, the story of Ben Stokes as, as a cricketer is a story of a guy who wanted to take responsibility. He wants to be given the chance to be the hero. Let me be a player who you can trust, and I will be someone you can trust. Treat me as a guy who's, who's going to bowl a couple of overs and bat at number eight. I will slog it hopelessly and end up punching a locker because I'm frustrated. <laughs> you know, there's no point, and this comes back to his statement, there's absolutely no point in Ben Stokes, of all people, being a guy going through the motions. He has never, ever gone through the motions in his inter- in his England career, in any career that he's played. And therefore, he has made the selfless decision to say, you know what, if I do carry on trying to play all three formats, this is the one that I'm going to be freewheeling in. I'm not going to be able to give my all, my all to this for all the reasons laid out before. Um, he said, I'm through with it. I-, I-, I want someone else to take the chance. So to go back to your point, of course he's irreplaceable yes you're right it probably is a case of pushing butler up and bringing curran in and jigging around but frankly it doesn't matter because there is a tomorrow and that tomorrow largely comes down to the fact that ben stokes ensured there was a tomorrow by winning on that day uh, three years ago in a bit uh, to win the world cup and give english cricket a chance to have something to take forward into another generation um england earned a huge debt of gratitude and i hope they take his his valedictory statements uh, with the st- seriousness it deserves because, you know, it's a creed occur from a man who has given everything he possibly can and has actually said, you know what, I can't give any more to you. I've laid it all on the line. It's over to you now to try and resolve this insane schedule you've given us and work out something that can actually make this team thrive and be better for the next generation.
0: Miller, have you recovered from Brendan McCullum disowning the term basketball that you coined and uh, (laughs) Rob (laughs) Key saying that it undersells the test teams' new style of play.
2: I'm, I'm I'm thoroughly offended. I mean, Kiki was there at Lord saying, "Well, we don't like it because it's not our term." Well, no, mate, it's my term. I came up that term <laughs> before before you'd even before you'd even started playing. And the reason it's stuck is I predicted how you're going to play, and lo and behold, they played exactly the way I imagined Ball would look. And so, you know, Basball is what you make of it. And, you know, it was it was a, it was a term hanging out there waiting 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 for it to be filled with with glorious action, and lo and behold, they've done it. I don't know. I don't care. Bazball, bazball, schmazball. But uh, but it don't, it, uh, seriously, it does, it does seem slightly odd to you know make make all this big play of we're here to entertain. We want to want, the, want to engage the fans, and then when 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 a phrase does the rounds to sum up what the fans feel about this new form of play. So well, we don't like that word. So it's not up to you, mate. It's up to the fans. If the fans like the word, the word sticks. You know that's what that's what you're playing for, isn't it?
0: The genie's out of the bottle. That's always been the buy of the great um,
1: sporting philosophers. You know, Pep Guardiola always talks about like wanting to be um, someone who plays football the way it should be played. And as soon as people gave it a name, or as soon as people get used to it and maybe don't cheer as loudly as they used to, he has to go at the fans. So, you know, Brendan's just completing the circle.
0: Yeah,
2: but anyway, you know, the first rule of baseball is you don't talk about baseball. So I suppose you know <laughs> what can you do? But on we go.
0: Vish, you're up in Newcastle ahead of the first men's ODI against South Africa tomorrow. Have you had time to recover from a, a surreal finish to finals day on Saturday night?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think I have recovered, to be honest. I've rewatched what happened at the end so many times and I've had a different opinion every single time I've rewatched it. Um yeah, it was incredible really. And it was the kind of thing that um it was a con- you never want that kind of controversy, especially from our point of view, because it you know it, it was like the 2019 World Cup final and Milo, you know, Milo, you were um, one of the head honchos for this in terms of whether it should have been a, you know, six uh, for Ben Stokes' um, back deflection. But being in the press conference, waiting for the winners to come in and being like, oh, right, they sh- probably shouldn't have won. Very, very surreal. Wouldn't recommend it. Not a great way to operate, but... um yeah, no, it's just I don't think I I, I don't think anyone who watched that last final will, will ever get over what happened. And I think that's only a good thing.
2: I mean my my take my take on it was you know if that had been the penultimate ball, not the final ball, and there'd been three needed from two, and Ellis had bowled that ball that hops over the stumps, the keeper grabs it and they run the bye, fine. There's no chance of them then turning around and running a second bye because already the ball is being lobbed back to the bowler, you're gonna start the process again. No one's pulling up stumps and dancing around like a loon. Perkling to different parts of the, of the of the ground and being distracted. If you take it in isolation and accept that the moral ending of that moment was the moment that they failed to failed to lump the ball off the square and give themselves a chance for two in normal time, then frankly, it's case closed as far as I'm concerned. You know, you get this all the time in club cricket, you know. Someone can't really be asked to, to make the effort to trot up and pick the ball that's sort of dribbled a little bit beyond Beyond square leg because they're feeling knackered, but you know, run the extra run because frankly the moment's gone. You know it, it, it happens. I, I think I think it's you know to call it sour grapes is overstating it, but I think it was a little bit a little bit disingenuous to say that the Lancashire were robbed. Uh, if they if they were truly robbed, they'd have lumped that ball over mid wicket for the six, and some bird had knocked it out of the sky and had landed on the sub safari that would have, that would have actually been been a proper robbage.
1: We should say um, that uh, like a load of different angles have come out in the last 48 hours, uh, you know, beyond the actual um, TV footage. And it does seem like the umpire, uh, Graham Lloyd, who's a standing umpire, signals buys after the first run, which is when the ball is dead. So,
0: Yeah, and I think if Lancashire really want to complain, I think, to be honest, the, the way they lost that game was by collapsing when they were absolutely cruising in what should have been quite an easy run chase, not probably from when they got a... A hail mary, second chance at um, <laughs> hitting the last ball for four. Um, and then, it, then
2: when then when Gleason shakes hands with 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 the Hampshire players around that, that's probably case closed as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <isn't it?
0: laughs> um, let's get on with uh, England versus India. Um, two one defeats for England in both the T20I series and the ODI series. Um, Miller, I'll start with you. Ha- have these past two weeks been a wake up call for England's and the new Post Morgan era, or have they just been? Uh, beaten by quite a, a pretty good India team.
2: Probably a bit of both, to be perfectly honest. I mean, the, the, there was a real chance that England could and perhaps should have won that third uh, third match if, if Joss Butler had, had taken that stumping off Pant on 18. And, you know, I kind of feel as though they'd have, they'd have, they'd have burgled a series win in that case. I think I think they, they succeeded... In spite of themselves, Lords, because, you know, if you're not going to if you're going to get a higher score in three matches of 260 playing the way that England play, um, that's that's not that's not all systems firing. You know, it's only only a couple of weeks ago. They scored four, four, nine, eight. So admittedly, that was against the Netherlands, but it goes to show that the, the spirit of this team is still willing. Uh, the flesh has been a little bit weak in this series, and that, that a lot of that does come down to exceptional bowling. I mean, Jasper Bumrah in that first game at the Oval was unplayable. I mean, Josh Butler actually made the point at, at Lords saying that you know the collapse in that game wasn't through reckless batting. More the point, it was it was trying to defend for your life and nicking off to the slips. I mean, that that happens. That happens in Test cricket. That happens in good white ball cricket when 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 the ball is moving. So it, it does happen. Uh, but yeah, the... the something's just been a little bit off with the team and butler's butler's comments i thought after the after the last game were 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 interesting he sort of he didn't quite admit that the captaincy was was on his mind but he didn't quite deny it either he said you know i'm 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 an experienced cricketer but i'm a young captain and i will learn i will grow i will get used to the responsibility you know i've got a hell of a lot of games stacking up i'm not looking forward to a 48 hour turnaround to durham and a coach trip through the night there's an awful lot of Excuses sort of woven into the fabric of England's defeat there. That's a lot of them you can take as read. That yes, the, there's an awful lot that uh, isn't quite right about the schedule and the, the fact that England haven't played enough white ball cricket. The fact that you know the Fab Five, so to speak, were playing their first game together since that World Cup final three years ago, which is just nonsense. Um, but more broadly, uh, yeah, they just haven't quite gelled. Uh, in the same way that they did under the Morgan, and and you know it is a new era. You've got to, you've got to accept that you can't just bring in a new captain, a new coach, and say, right lads, business as usual. It's not business as usual. It, it is different. You've got to, you've got to accept that there's there's got to be a change in in how they go about it. I mean, you know, James Vince made a good point yesterday after the blast final about uh, about taking a moment to pause before that crazy final ball. And uh, I think Vish was writing about it, saying you know they they could have just piled on in. And just thought, you know what? Yeah, we're Hampshire. We'll we'll just do the same thing again. Or you say, you know what? Let's just let's just take a moment here. Let's just think about what we what we are, what we're trying to achieve in this moment. I'm not sure England have quite done that yet. Things have happened in a bit of a rush for them with Morgan's retirement and Mott's appointment and the the rapid turnaround from formats. They haven't really had a chance to to breathe and and digest. And presumably that will happen. But as we know. This schedule is mad. Um, Whiteball cricket is mad. We're going to be back to T20 focus before we know it. The, the the 50 over focus is going to be put on the back burner until next year again before we know it. Um, there's an awful lot of questions still up in the air about this side that, that, that frankly cannot be answered in a hurry. And, and in some ways, nor should they be.
0: Yeah, Vish, I suppose it was a, a strange ODI series in that it wasn't really at all what we're used to seeing in England specifically. you know, we, We've seen so many series played on flat pitches, not much on offer for bowlers. Um, and in a sense for England, it was hard to read too much into it with a second, what was a second-string bowling attack. But then again, the batting, as Miller mentions, was at full strength. Um, the Fab Five plus Livingston, who seems to be the, the guy who's going to benefit the most from Morgan's retirement in terms of getting a first-choice spot in that side. Um, But yeah, a lot of this team hasn't played much 50 over cricket since the 2019 World Cup final. And it's sort of hard to see how they're going to play loads of it before 2023 in India.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think Butler's been dealt a bit of a bum deal here, hasn't he? Because the way he's had to, I suppose, it's hard when you've got a second string team. Sorry, a second string half of the team in the bowling attack and your first string half of the team have other priorities anyway. So... You know, not just the fact that they've all just come from Test cricket, having missed the, um, you know, you know, missed the 1st c T20s, but the fact that um, you know, even someone like Joe Root, who is only playing ODI cricket as this, you know, that's that's the other international format he plays, but he's not really that asked about it. Um, and if you look at, you know, Stokes and Berstow, they've been so high that this is always going to feel like a come down. So it feels like the two sides of the team are working. In different ways, and yeah, it's a straight one. You you know, you mentioned the game; it felt like a bit of a throwback, didn't it? In terms of you know, like low scoring, but still quite entertaining. I don't remember the low scoring games being as entertaining as these ones were. I think you know when 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 you've got three out of four batters, you know, pulling to the square leg fence. Maybe that's maybe that's the only thing that's changed. Yeah, Um, but yeah, it was. It feels like England didn't. Well, India used English conditions better than England did. Um, which is a strange thing to think about in white ball cricket. But I suppose when you give, when you look at India's attack and particularly someone like Pandya and the way he came into the series, it felt like, you know, maybe in hindsight, that wasn't too surprising, but it, there's an interesting thing. Like I, you know, I'm not going to be that joker who talks about Matthew Mott not being good enough because we just don't know. <laughs> it's obviously far too early, but it is interesting with the fact that, you know, Morgan, uh, sorry, Miller mentioned there about Morgan's retirement. Mott was, I suppose, you know, brought in as someone who would compliment Morgan. Um, and obviously, you know, Morgan only had, you know, so many years left to go. Rob Key, when he appointed Mott, would have known that Morgan, you know, at most has got a year and a bit, you know, not even two years. But then to, to be gone within a month or so of Mott's appointment and then have a new captain who, with all due respect to Josh Butler, and and well, I suppose it's more of a compliment to own Morgan rather than any disrespect to Joss Butler, but He's not quite the same. He's not the same kind of orator, certainly not in the dressing room. He's not the same kind of person who, you know, through being a wiki keeper, is not going to be as involved in the field as Morgan was. And probably needs someone, whether it's someone on the field or off the field, to, I suppose, reinforce his message. Um, And yeah, I I suppose when when he talks about being a young captain, that generally means working out who we can trust as players and who we can trust in the backroom staff, really, doesn't it? It doesn't mean that, you know, he knows how to set a field, he's, you know, pretty attacking when it comes to that kind of stuff. He knows about bowling tactics, this, that and the other. He's done it before, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing he's going to find out. But as, as you as you mentioned in your question, Ronald, like, specifically with 50 over cricket, it doesn't feel like he's going to be able to work it out on the field. He's almost got to do a lot of his learnings elsewhere.
0: Well, I suppose and the obvious point there is that Morgan, as captain, constantly had Butler to lean on because of the fact that while he was in the test squad, it always felt like one day cricket was Butler's priority. Whereas for Butler, you know, he he was leaning quite a lot on Chris Jordan in the T20 series, but he's not around. Then he was leaning on Stokes in the ODIs, who's, again, is his mind really there? Is he he thinking about 50 over cricket or, or is that sort of actually probably the third most important format for him at the moment? Um, so, yeah, it is, it, it is an interesting challenge. Um, it, it, Miller, in terms of it, sort of performances in that ODI series, I think no one no one scored 100 for England in the series. No one even made 100 runs aggregate in the series for England. Um, Reese Topley was the, the obvious standout with the ball, took nine wickets, but no one else took more than two. Um, so it's so quite a strange sort of bitty series, which I suppose reflected the, the nature of the way those games panned out.
2: Yeah, and and, and Topley Topley is a magnificent story. I mean, has written about him a couple of times this week. I mean, we all know of the, the the dark days he's been through. No, 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 not even a sausage of England England recognition between twenty sixteen and twenty twenty while he was going through huge problems with his back. I mean, he he pointed across to the Wellington Hospital after his Lord's Sixer and said, you know, a couple of years ago I was having surgery in there and didn't think I'd ever play again. Uh, you know, amazing story. Uh, but you know, realistically, he wouldn't have been. A first choice had had the likes of Archer, Wood, and Co. been been fit and available, Wokes even as well, and uh, there was something strange as well that, that Butler said after the, after the, the the third game. He said that he only bowled seven overs in that in that um, final innings, and um, he said, "Well, you, you know, got to manage him. He, you know, he's he's been he's been he's creaking a bit." I think were his words. It's like, mate, you're midway through a series of cider. If if, if your your strike bowler can't bowl out his entire allocation. Uh, that that's a, that's more than just a, a more than just creaking, frankly. Um, so slightly concerning, um, and obviously all the point all the pointers are the forty eight hour turnaround. There's no way they're going to try and risk him up at up a Chesler Street. So Matthew Potts, I would imagine, will get a, get a debut. So again, England are, are sort of descending down into. With due respect to Matthew Potts, who's been magnificent in Test cricket, but they're they're really going down the rabbit hole in terms of of bowling options there. But you're right; we're talking about the batting as the problem. Uh, so yeah, there's really not an awful lot of takeaways that you can you can take away. You can take away the fact that 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 Reece Topley will get an IPL deal after after giving <laughs> India the hurry up in, in in three out of four games. But uh, um, but beyond that, I I can't read too much into it. One one I suppose one. Key question is concerns Jason Roy, the one man we haven't really talked about in terms of everyone else in, the, in that Fab Five, so to speak, has got some sort of caveat, be it, you know, they've got their test match focus or they've, they've got the, the captaincy. Jason Roy doesn't have that. Jason Roy is, is back in the side after his slightly spurious absences um in recent months and uh obviously he got a, he got a century out in the Netherlands so that, that counts for something but something's been a little bit off with his game um this summer and and you know the way in which he's sort of he's looked more aggrieved with himself than he ever has done when getting out, particularly in, in that last game when he when he got off to a decent start, got his forty odd in good time and then plays one shot too many and looks to the heavens feeling woebegone in in a way that you know, you didn't get, you didn't catch him doing that in, in his previous incarnation. He didn't feel like he was, he was having to make such a point. And again, I, I believe that comes down to the fact that Owen Morgan, in particular, had Jason Roy's back from the word go in that, in that five, five year run through, through from 2015 right through beyond the World Cup. Um, you know, he was, he was the guy that Morgan relied upon to set the tone. It's like, you know, you swing from the hip from word go you'll get out for ducks quite a lot. I mean, everyone talks about, you know, I think he's got 17 now in, in, in international cricket, but he'll also do as he did the other day with, with he'll smack three fours in an over and be off to the flyer. And I just wonder whether he sort of feels as though, you know, time's creeping up on him. There, there are the lions who obviously you, Matt were down in, uh, down in Taunton this week, watching the likes of Will Smead and Tom Banton, giving it, giving it some Humpty against South Africa. Um, If, if a new captain and coach are gonna to have to try to reinvigorate the team, the obvious place to look, in my opinion, is Jason Roy at the top of the order. With with all due respect to everything he's achieved, there's always got to be someone you sense in the spotlights during a during a transition. You can't just go into a new era of English white ball cricket and say, Well, let's just take everything we did right in the last era and it'll be fine. Something's gonna change, I think.
1: Yeah, if you look, I mean, if you look at the age profile of that squad, I'm not gonna lie. I think I wrote after the 2019 final that this might be the last time they'll play together. There was a moment. Um, so after England, the England football team went to the 2018 World Cup. Gareth Southgate got all the players together and said, "You know, because look, you know, look around you. This is this is the only time you're going to be with this group of players, um, because of not just your age profiles, but also things like form, things like injury. This is, you know." Fate has brought you as the 23 together, and it's strange because I thought that I thought that with the England team, not least because of the number of players that were always pushing them. You know, bear in mind that you know David Willey really missed out on that World Cup because of Jofra Archer. Um, you know, Liam Dawson got in at the last minute ahead of Joe Denley. They felt like they were always players they were there and thereabouts, and then we're here, like you know, just over a year before the next 50 over World Cup, or even this 20 over World Cup in October, and the faces haven't changed all that much, really. And the only reason the faces have changed is because of injuries. Because really, those wokes Archer would—they'd all be, be in this on this in this team, um, and it's it's strange because they haven't really given themselves an opportunity to try and work it out. I know COVID has played a part in that as well, not least because it accelerated the dual uh, the twin squads element, but it does feel like. I don't know, it, it seems a bit tired, doesn't it? it? It's almost like England don't believe in the way that they used to play anymore. Um, and they kind of have to almost remind themselves that that's what they do. And at the same time, you know, it's not for nothing that we're talking about this on the hottest day of the year. And also that time when the schedule is is mad because, you know, the pitches we've seen during the industry is the pitches they're going to get for the rest of the season are going to be tired and they're going to be wearing, and they're going to be dry. And, you know, that's not conducive. These are the exact kind of pitches Owen Morgan used to moan about when he was captain <laughs> um, and I've that's not so really true. been paying too much attention to the Sky coverage but I'd be fascinated to know if he's been you know doing the same because you know he was he was always he'd always make a note talking about the pitch winning England lost. and luckily for him it didn't jar as much because England didn't lose much but um yeah I, I wonder if that that's an that's part of it as well
0: well, I suppose also on that point about dry pitches, it'll be a huge boost this week for them to have Adil Rashid back because in that 50-over series in particular, going in with Moeen and Livingston as the only spinners, I think that probably illustrated England's own concerns about their spin depth because Matt Parkinson bowled, what I think, six overs in the in the T20 series um, and was p- pretty summarily discarded. Um, and it feels like he's in a point where, um, if anything, he's sort of moving towards being more of a candidate as a Red Bull bowler than anything else.
1: Yeah, well, so, so Adil Rashid, you mentioned there because um, uh, when I talked about it being throwback, the throwback element was really beyond the low scores that England weren't taking wickets in the middle order. Um, and Matt, it, f- it feels like having you to host this podcast almost exclusively on white ball cricket is uh, it's a bit silly on our part. It's a bit like, you know, batting Livingston down at seven. But <laughs> <laughs> um, do you see, you know, people were talking about bride and Cast as this kind of blanket alike and, you know, he had a, you know, very kind of like middling series, I suppose. But do you see that? Because it feels like if Rashid comes in, then you still need that pacer at the other end who's going to, you know, get the kind of bounce across like team deliveries that the cars has, I suppose, you know, shown over the last week or so.
0: Yeah, uh, well, I think cars, from what I've seen of him, he clearly has what I think uh, sort of talent ID people call raw material. So he's tall and he's quick and he's got a good bouncer and that sort of thing, but he is actually pretty inexperienced um, as a white ball bowler. I think if you look at the number of career appearances he's got in list A and T20 cricket, maybe 50 across both of them. Um, so there's clearly still work to do. And I don't think by any means in the sort of first choice England side, he's quite there yet. Um, and actually Potts is a really interesting introduction this week into the ODI squad, because I think at the start of the summer, if Potts and Cars had both been available and fully fit, I think there's every chance the cars would have actually been in the test squad ahead of the New Zealand series. And I think Potts would probably have started the summer in the one-day squad. So it is quite an interesting contrast. But I suppose then if you think about, yeah, the, the full strength England team with everyone, with all the fastballers available, whether or not that will ever happen again, who knows? You're probably looking at Mark Wood and Adil Rashid in the in the middle overs, um, with Wokes and Archer sharing the new ball. So it is an interesting circumstance where a lot of this is about um depth testing isn't it um as much as anything else um I suppose on that subject actually just to briefly touch on the T20 is which feel like months ago even though I think it was about 10 days since the last one maybe even eight days since the last one it it was kind of a strange series packed into three games packed into four days um Miller I suppose that the big find for England in that series was Richard Gleeson um who you know, maybe, maybe your big find shouldn't uh, ideally be a 34-year-old fast bowler, but he, he really did look the part, um, especially on W at and getting the getting the big fish out at the top of the order.
2: He did. I mean, he. I guess that's the thing, the benefit of experience. He just he just knew what he was doing every time, he, you know, every ball's an event in T20 cricket. And, and he, he knows that better than anyone because, you know, his entire career has been, been an event that he perhaps thought was never going to happen. A bit like Reese Topley in many ways, but um, but slightly different. But, you know, the, the way, you know, people talk about nailing the New Yorkers and, you know... Uh, uh, Everyone aims for the Yorker and misses it by half an inch and gets slotted down the ground for six. And you know, the, it's the classic, classic conundrum. He seemed to have faith in that delivery, in a, to a degree that so many don't, and 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 that can only come down to just just having you know a few years of experience on top on his head and thinking, you know what, I've got a chance here. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it my best. I mean, you couldn't fault it. But yeah, I remember when he got picked um, for that fifty five man. Squad in COVID, it was a sort of pick pluck from nowhere, and I remember writing about it at the time, saying, "Well, this is all very well and good, but you know, being picked for a picked for a fifty-five man training squad is not exactly the same thing as being picked for England. It's basically being said that you know you're probably good enough to be in England fifths, which is you know, if you if you average out average out three three and a half four seamers per squad, that's basically saying you're about the I don't know thirteenth the seventeenth best." Quick bowler in the country It's not not the most rip roaring accolade when you put it put it that way. But lo and behold, he he has he has proven over the last couple of years that that he wasn't a flash in the pan. He, his late coming into into his professional career has just kept coming. He's 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 snowballed with with experience and opportunity and and grasped each one and was bloody nearly the the hero at the, the death there in, in in on finals day as well. So uh, yeah, good luck to him. I mean, how long how long he's going to last for? Who knows? But. Uh, uh, he certainly seems robust enough to to do a job in the short term, while while the rest of England's bowlers are are, are in maintenance. But uh, uh, just touching on 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 Rashid though, just, uh, something you said there earlier, Matt, just uh, reminded me actually of um, Owen Morgan, who uh, you know for all his talk about you know stepping away and giving giving the the new boys some some space to breathe, hasn't exactly been doing that with with his, with his bomb mots on Sky, but. He said something very interesting, only in passing, so I, I didn't really sort of have time to clock it. But he was just talking in conversation on Sky about the emission of Parkinson from from this match. And he said something pretty damning, you know, Parkinson on home soil. He basically said, well, it, it, it's basically an indictment he's not good enough. And I thought, well, study on, mate, you know, you were his captain only about a week ago. And you're basically saying that, that this this chap is not good enough, and that that was that was those were his words. I I'm, I don't think I'm taking him out of context. There may have been a little bit of caveat within that, but it was it was a it was a revealingly candid um, suggestion that all this all this chat about him being too slow through the air and all the rest of it is is more than just chat. It is it is it is something that that, that seems to have inveigled its way into the way that England look at him within the setup. And so I was delighted for him to to get get his wickets in, in in on finals day. It was it was it was a true comeuppance performance, but um, uh, unfortunately for him, just just fell short in the final analysis. But yeah, in terms of in terms of testing that bench strength and 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 and, and depth testing, England you know have shown on the one hand in Topley and Gleeson and Co that yeah they've got serviceable quicks who can step in and, and do a job while the big boys are, are, are rehabilitating, but uh, that spin depth isn't isn't really hasn't really been mined yet um in, in to the fullest extent.
0: Vish you're up in the in tune, uh ready for the first ODI tomorrow. Uh, South Africa have sort of had a had a slightly strange week of warm ups where they got absolutely hammered and taunted in Taunton in a game they weren't taking that seriously and then bounced back pretty emphatically uh, in Worcester a couple of days later. Um, they've got a sort of strangely underwhelming record in 50 over cricket recently, but on paper, at least, they look like a a really strong side. Um, How do you sort of see this series panning out? Do you you think England will uh, bounce back with a couple of pretty easy series wins or do you think it'll be a tough challenge?
1: Oh, um, I I mean, I think they're... um, I I think England would do well to win the series only because of what they've just come out of um, and the fact there's so little change over and that they'll have to rotate through some players, start with this opening game. Um, Yeah, this is a kind of, you know, in terms of like, I suppose, if we take this towards a whole, including the the test series coming up at the end, this is a much stronger South Africa side than England played when they were last over there in in 2020 in terms of the test series. So obviously there was that COVID series where they, they left as well um but it really does feel like they South Africa in, in quite an interesting place especially because of what we talked about with regards to the um you know how the pitches have been playing and how the scores have been if you look at someone like gentleman Milan is like he's exactly the kind of player who do well on these these kind of decks you know he's you know he, from what we've seen of him in, in white ball cricket he's you know a very reliable opener there's a bit of like shy hope about him like Thanking going to score a hundred, but it's like hundred of one hundred and ten, which which is going to be big currency in in a, in a series in a, in a summer like this as well. So I, I I do think they've got a chance to set down a market here because I know we talked about you know the the differences in the squads, but they're going to get quite a good look at England's you know engine room for this S series as well, and I think they you know someone like. You know, I don't know if he's gonna play, but you know, someone like Janssen or um, you know, Ngidi getting into the series quite early, that's I think that's quite exciting. And I think there's a lot to it. It all, I mean, I wonder if England fans already feel a bit fatigued by what we're because it's just been, you know, it's like forcing yourself to eat dessert because you should, and because it's you know, because you are in a nice restaurant, but you're you full from starters and mains. But yeah, I, th- I think this has got a chance to be quite an exciting series. I just don't know if England are gonna be that up
0: for it. Miller, this is quite an interesting tour, in a sense. It's quite old school. Um, South Africa coming and playing a couple of, you know, warm up uh, one day games before uh, an ODI series, before a T Twenty series, and they play Ireland during the um, first week of the hundred, and then eventually you get sort of um, to sort of continue this slightly tortured metaphor. <laughs> you get the main course of the Tests in mid August. Um, how do you sort of? St- see that, that narrative panning out over the summer because they are here for the next two months basically.
2: They are and and, and you know, the weather is what well, it's thirty eight degrees and rising at the moment, you know, it's it's like, like being like me in Port Elizabeth or or however have you pronounce its new name now. I, I won't even begin to try yet until I've until I've been there for myself. Um but you know it it it's it's pretty 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 familiar conditions. And you know they're they're in an interesting place um politically as well. I mean obviously they 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 they've they've been through the ringer in recent times, with with all the all the, the, the inquiries in, into into goings on, but at the same time, you know, there, there's a post um, post There's been a sort of rapprochement with a lot of the players who who basically turned their back on South Africa for a long time. As an opportunity, certainly further down the line, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll see a few familiar faces who've been been sticking around the showers in in recent recent years and, and tearing it up. And you know, you, you kind of sense that actually. But, from looking around county cricket recently you know the, the uh, packs had a bad rap for a lot of, uh, for a lot of uh, a lot of years but equally in you know, in terms of just being nuggets of currency nuggets of quality within any given team in the county championship you you couldn't fault the, their presence and so you know for a lot of those guys you're coming back to conditions that are kind of familiar to them from from years of being over here they're going to be a really good place and as you say they've they've had a chance to have a decent warm up they you know two very interesting warm ups actually down in uh, against the lions spanking getting spanked with the sort of multi format seventeen players and then turning on turning it on the next day with a more focused eleven and actually giving the lions a bit bit a bit of a bit of a tonking in return uh, they're, they're, It feels as though they're in a really really solid place and um uh, yeah it, it's I, I thought Butler's Butler's comments after 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 that that third defeat were a little bit veering on. Um, we're a bit fatigued, and uh, yeah, it would be nice to just take a breath. It doesn't doesn't feel like England are entirely relishing the the next the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, I think Miller, what you said about um, the South African politically at the moment, I, th- I think they're in a quite an interesting place because. I think the way, for example, um, you know, the issues around taking the knee, the Black Lives Matter movement and how that, you know, certainly South South Africa's viewpoint of of it and the way that the players had to assume that, I I actually think it brought them quite a bit closer because I think it ended up, you know, from what I understand, it ended up with them having quite a few conversations behind closed doors with each other about various different things. And it feels like a lot of the players that have come in now, certainly this current group that they're with, are all on the same page. You know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying politically, but I think they appreciate the, the pressures of what it is to be a South African cricketer, regardless of, you know, your background uh, or, or, you know, where you're from. And it, it, I do get the sense that they're, they're just a bit more... They're just willing to have a bit more fun and they're willing to enjoy themselves and express themselves. And, I don't, you know, I'm not saying this is vouchable, but
2: <laughs> there is... Oh, feel that <laughs>
1: No, because he'll help me by the end of the, you know, in a month he'll be slagging me off in the press. But um, it does feel like there's something a little bit different about this South Africa team. But maybe having gone through all that, the the general pressures of what it is to be a South African cricketer, weighing on them a little less. Or at the very least, there are coping net mechanisms for it. There are structures in place to help them deal with that. So, you know, obviously the, the most expressive format is the whiteboard format and the C20 format. But, um, yeah, we might see a bit of that in the next week or so.
0: Um, there's obviously one South African team already over here. Uh, the women's side are uh, already beaten in the ODI series against England. Uh, The final game of that is this afternoon at the time of recording. Um, it sort of feels like the wheels have been falling off a little bit during that tour with, um, it, I think, Lizelle Lee's premature retirement um, probably being the headline act. Um, and Miller, as you mentioned earlier, England women in quite an interesting space at the moment, um, particularly the T20 side that we're going to see for the first time. This week um, with no Tammy Beaumont in the squad for the Commonwealth Games, which I think came as a, a bit of a surprise, even though her T20 uh, role has always been a little bit unclear under Lisa Kiley. And then uh, two 17 year olds in Freya Kemp and I guess the headline act of Alice Capsi, who, who starred in 100 last year.
2: Yes, indeed. I I took my kids along to to um, a one hundred game last year, and it turned out to be the Capsie match. It was a it was spirit versus oval at, at Lords, and uh, it actually worked out perfectly. I've got two daughters, and so they you know, they got to see a got to see a sixteen year old tearing it up for a, for a forty one ball fifty, and then the game, uh, game the men's game was rained off, so they were able to go home and uh, say yeah, girl power. So they were, they were very happy with that as a, as a day out. Um, but yeah, she she she's been she's been immense. I mean, it's not not so, I think she was what, third highest run scorer, second highest wicket taker for the champions, age sixteen. I mean, it's precocious nonsense, frankly. Uh, so yeah, she's she's clearly clearly um, clearly worthy of her call up. Um, Beaumont is a fascinating case study. I mean, yeah, everyone on our WhatsApp group, we're all sort of go ah no Beaumont what? And I, I had to write the write the report. Of, you know, I think the embargo was nine a.m. the following morning, so I wrote it up that night and. Drilling into her figures actually was it was actually kind of ruthless, but almost you know fair play. It's a sort of ruthlessness that you need at elite level. If you if you drill down into what Tammy Bowman has achieved, now she broke into the side. I mentioned Charles Edwards, and you know the the the, the famous quote that that, um, that Robinson came out of it with Charlotte Charles Edwards when he dropped her it was like basically she's like a massive great tree. Nothing grows underneath her. You know, the, the, there's no room for, for for new shoots to come up. And Tammy Beaumont was one of the key beneficiaries. Of Charlotte Edwards being binned off. She she came into the side in 2016 and, and was part of that grow, growth into the World Cup as England's top scorer in 2017. I think she averaged at least 40 in ODI cricket every single year until this year when she's averaged 28. I think she scored 34 runs in two T20s. You know, it's a subtle drop-off, but it's a drop-off nonetheless. And especially given the World Cup has been and gone already and uh you know, she she didn't stand out there compared to you know, say Nat Siver was obviously England's uh, gun top order player. Um, you know, build a team around Siver with young guns coming through, and you've got to, You've got to make sacrifices somewhere. Heather Knight, obviously, still revered captain, and you know that inning she played in the in the Test match in in Australia, proof that you know when she's at the top of a game, she's almost peerless. Um, so it makes sense. In, in a ruthless way, that you, you make an example of, of a player, a great player for England, who is just not quite there. It doesn't mean that she's finished. It just means that, you know, what the standards you've currently attained are not good enough to
0: keep you in the side yeah and I I suppose we talk about the professionalization and the modernization of the women's game and this this feels like the professionalization and modernization of selection specifically because I think you've seen this in Australian cricket you know Matthew Mott at various points in the World Cup would leave out spinners based on how they matched up against other teams which felt pretty um, almost futuristic I suppose for for how selection has been done previously in women's cricket where you've had just the same core of players Um, and and this does feel like England are sort of really putting to um, putting to the test that that question of depth that seems to have arrived since the uh, since the professionalisation of the domestic game in particular with the the regional centres. Um, uh, just quickly, we touched on it at the start, um, but uh, Vish, we were at finals day on on Saturday. Uh, Hampshire probably worthy winners in the end, um, despite the fact that at various points they looked down and out in that final against Lancashire um you wrote about uh, James Vince's captaincy he's obviously now as as discussed on the night a world cup winner a hundred winner and a <laughs> t20 blast winner um and he had a really good night um probably not with the bat in the same way he had throughout the tournament but, but as a leader and in, in the field yeah
1: definitely he um i remember having this conversation with um someone at the ECB over a few beers a few years ago and I think it was like so it would have been 2019 no actually 2018 um when Vince played his last test and I said it'd be huge shame and that's such a waste if James Vince doesn't doesn't have a body of international work by the by the end of his career and he was and he was like it would be and who's waste who would have wasted it and I was like well, I, I, th- I think the ECB, I, I think the ECB, I think if you treat someone, you know, if you treat someone as an aside and if you don't really try and work with them, then, then maybe that's your fault. And then they came back to me and it was like, well, you know, perhaps he has to ask himself some questions of the same thing. And I, I, I've never, I've never really, I've never really seen that beyond, I suppose, the odd moments in championship cricket where, you know, yeah, the brief interlude where he opened because that was where the slot was. But aside from occasionally banging a five when you think, come on, mate, you know, you're a three or four. Um If you look at the responsibility he assumes for the county in terms of captaincy and run scoring, which obviously this season as captain of the winners and the leading run scorer, um, it's been incredible. I think it's a great example of, of what he is. And I don't even think that, you know, I mean, yeah, What well, so he's 31 now, so he obviously, you know, He's got a few more years left, but I do think there's, there's a lot more for him to give at international cricket. Miller alluded to it before about the 100 in his last ODI against Pakistan. There was a 55 in his last D20 a few months ago. Um, I thought it was really instructive, actually, that, you know, we, Ronald, you and I were in the press conference with, with um, Nathan Ellis when he said that um, he found it, he, he, he kind of, I'm paraphrasing here, him here, but it was, he said it's almost unfathomable that you can leave from the front in the way that he does and be as chilled as a captain in the way that he is. Um, because I, I think he he marshaled that game exceptionally well. I mean, I don't think you'll find it, but even little things like the, the chat before they had to repeat the, the no ball, even, and, you know, Lancashire, Lancashire fans weren't like this, but even changing the field, he would have known he's not allowed to do that. But he would have known, maybe, perhaps known in the bedlam. Right, you just need to. When we come break up from this huddle, you don't come in from where you are. You you go to that position as if you've always been there. Um, I think he yeah he, he's an exceptional exceptional cricketer, and it was um, yeah as you say, very 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 deserved to win.
2: And just 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 to point out, he also scored a fifty or seventy six, in fact, in his last Test innings. So just to complete the set, Christchurch, kind of forget that forget he was even out there, don't he?
0: I suppose one of the interesting things as well is that we talk about, you know, if someone talks about a great county captain, you instinctively think of like a one club man who's, uh, you know, who's someone who's never played, never going to play for England. Someone like Daryl Mitchell or someone at Worcester who plays in all formats, does fills a particular role, but is quite sort of wedded to a particular club, which I think actually Vince probably represents a bit of a shift in that he has played for England. He does play franchise cricket and he's sort of unapologetic about all that stuff. And he uses those connections really well. Like he was talking about how they managed to to sign Ben McDermott and Nathan Ellis, who have been actually like an unbelievable set of signings as a pair across the tournament. I don't think many people would have looked at them over the winter and gone, wow, those are amazing gets. But they've managed to do that because of the fact that George Bailey used to play for Hampshire. He's now Australia's selector. Vince sort of was in his ear saying, are you going to pick him for this squad? Are they going to be on eighteen tours? Can they stay the whole tournament with us? And basically got the lie of the land from from Bailey based on who he played against in the big bash, who he thought was good um, and worked out who to bring over. And then they, they have McDermott who, you know, I think top scored in the final for Hampshire. Is that right? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Won the match award in that. And then Ellis closed out at the death and they were actually fantastic signings. And you hear about, uh, you know, Sam Billings has spoken about using similar sort of relationships um, and levers of power from franchise cricket and relationships he's built there when recruiting for Kent. And I think, yeah, it's really interesting to see how Vince has done that and it does sort of sum up what the the modern county captain is like. Um Vish, just a final word from you. Uh we've got the, the ODI series starting tomorrow. Anything in particular you're sort of looking out for uh, um especially up in up in the northeast?
1: Uh what am I looking out for uh beyond oil money see where it spills over. Um <laughs> <laughs> um runs for like uh yeah I, I think maybe kind of runs for roy that's my new sounds like he's running for the tory leadership isn't it but <laughs> but yeah that's uh that's kind of what i'm I'm looking for yeah because i think you know we spoke about him quite a lot on this pod and the fact that he's 31 no he's going through a bit of a old school roy patch where he he's kind of really pushing at the ball on his bottom hat you know his bottom wrist is doing all sorts but um yeah, I think we're going to get a uh, big run and then a Bearstow-esque celebration at the end from from Roy, hopefully, in the next week.
0: Um, well, I think that's about all we've got time for. Um, thanks very much, as always, for tuning into the Switch Hit Podcast on the ESPN Quick Info. We'll see you soon.